Friends, this is <laughs> good <laughs> work. Good job, everybody. Perhaps right, it is an so omen, Chad. If you will. Yeah, right? If I will, I, I yeah. will. I sure will. Um, so. Cool. All right. There's no real preamble. No. Um, oh, maybe it was that. Maybe it was that. I got too close to something. Maybe so. And it got like a little... I don't know. Whatever. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. I mean... We're know, good now. Let's not jinx exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> we can put that to the side. Welcome our friends here. Julia <laughs> and Jed. Welcome to Apricot Jam. Thank you for making the time to come kick it with us. Um, so, in that perhaps y'all don't really know how this works, which is totally reasonable, the truth is neither do we. Um, <laughs> this is entirely a conversational improvisational conversational jazz kind of format so if you would like to introduce yourselves or each other um that might be a good place to start so people have some sense of context and you can do that in whatever way feels resonant useful or just interesting at the moment and uh you know maybe part of that or maybe something that can happen after that is to talk just a little bit about Heartward, um, because I think it would be really cool for folks that are not familiar with this project to know that it, it exists and is uh, being and becoming in this world, because it's 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 pretty rad. So, but we can also take it in an entirely different direction if if that feels more fun. Awesome. We'll see where it flows. Totally. I am entirely not good at self introductions but i'll just crash into it um geez i'm 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 remembering to introduce myself as jed jed ward which is kind of a bit of an inside joke of a new name that i'm leaning into um not to get sidetracked onto that kind of irrelevant story right away um but i am or i i, I guess maybe what i do rather than what i am but i do some some acupuncture and some herbal medicine not necessarily in that order and i'm doing more and more what I think of as divination work, and that's definitely a strong interest of mine, but I'm finding that it's not necessarily the most helpful way to talk about it because it sounds really archaic and esoteric, and maybe it's part of a religious thing, or maybe it's from the Bible, or it's condemned by the Bible. Um, so I'm th thinking of other ways to, I guess, other ways to brand it um, and how to make it more accessible, and because it's really relevant work for a lot of folks, but they're not necessarily out there looking for divination. So I'm kind of sitting with that uh, quandary right now. Uh, anyway, all, all that's happening. And um, God, I have too many interests for my own good. I'm, I'm perpetually spread a little bit thin. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a gardener and a cook and a perfumer and a writer and um, a drummer. And yeah, Julia and I are living here in rural North Carolina and um, have started a sanctuary a it's a technically it's a religious organization it's a church kind of a funky animist church and we're still figuring it out it's real early days but um i'm gonna let julia jump in about that because she's really the head of what we're what we're doing over here in terms of the organization awesome thank you yeah yeah thanks for having us to this we don't know what it is, and it's great. It's nice to uh, see you again, Taryn, and to meet you and um, Lucas. And yeah, my name is Julia Hartzell. I'm also like thinking about changing my name and dropping the cell there and just having it be heart. And that the, if <clears throat> those two words together, heart word, is actually how 
um, it's the path to Heartward, how we uh, originally thought about combining our names um, when we got married and thinking about taking it on and then it ended up being the name of the baby of this project instead. So Heartward Sanctuary. Um, yeah, so Julia, um, I, at, at Essence, I'm, I'm a dancer, I'm a mystic, a seeker, you know, I, um, I ran, I've run a lot of community projects based in creative arts and, and movement, the Flojo and Hoop Convergence. I've been a fire dancer and hoop dancer. I've worked with like so many kids and people in, um, in the Piedmont um, to get them into their bodies and, uh, and to, to express. And so, yeah, dance has been a path of incarnating, I think, fully um, for me. Um, for healing and um, for connection with others and and interestingly now I feel like I'm in the process of of really working with what does it mean to discarnate um, what is it you know to prepare for that process too and so um, the Harvard Sanctuary is still about life and dance and expression and community but at a like interspecies level because now it's a land-based project where there's trees and other species and um, and thinking about the ways in which um, yeah death feeds life and life feeds death and those those I guess the um, the separation isn't as distinct as um, some might like to think and yeah so the past in the past decade I've uh, started doing more ancestral healing work and actually Jonathan and I met that way and more direct work with ancestors and the dead and ritual and so that's kind of this project feels like kind of a culmination or a combination of so many different um, elements and it also has a well it has a, an official natural burial ground now because we actually have buried both a canine beloved and a human mm. beloved um, from our community yeah so I'll, I'll, I'll start with that <laughs> awesome yeah. thank you that's amazing um, so Y'all have, I, this is a question, but I, I mean, I know this because I've been to your beautiful land, but you have a, pl a piece of land that this takes place on, <clears throat> these different inquiries. Can you maybe tell us a little bit, like if someone were to show up, what is it that they see? What, what is it, not that we can presume to know what anyone else would feel, but like, let, can, can we know a little bit about this place? Because the baby is right, this emplaced, landed being, which of course is a home to and composed of many beings, both living and dead and in between. So maybe we can, in addition to knowing that we're situated in rural North Carolina, you know, dive a little more deeply into to what this body of the sanctuary is. Maybe we can just start with a little like context, just kind of geographically. And I'm still, not, I'm not deep into the local history, but just broadly speaking, we're in, we're about halfway between the Triangle area, you know, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill on the one hand and the Greensboro on the other. So, you know, 45 minutes away from two decent urban areas, but pretty, pretty damn rural in, in between. And it's, it's pretty Quaker out here actually, which is really nice while we were looking around for land. It's, it wasn't a bunch of like, not to get into the kind of trauma horror show of the, some of the <laughs> places we were living before and um, in terms of the local culture, it, it was just 
it, it's very uh, peaceful feeling land here and just with the Quaker history. Um, and there's just a real deep quiet, like the realtor who was a friend who helped us acquire, you know, move here. And um, he said it, I think he said it's the place he sold that's the furthest from a main road. It's like 15 minutes from a, almost 15 minutes from a highway or something like that in any direction. So it's, yeah, it's just very, very quiet, very, pretty remote. Like we're really not on the way to anywhere. You can't possibly end up here by accident. Um, but everyone's like, we're always like, is anybody going to want to make the drive? And everyone's like, oh, the drive is so great. You know, it's like people actually appreciate that. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit by way of context. It's really pretty tucked away and, and peaceful and um, wooded, southern mixed hardwoods, chestnut oaks and uh, hickories. And uh, Julia, you want to you wanna leapfrog onto that? Yeah, technically the the land uh, or the town with the one flashing light that's a couple miles from here is called Silk Hope. It's a really beautiful name. Our, our postal address is Siler City. Um, that's the closest town. Um, Silk Hope's worth a story. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a bit, but this um, yeah, it's it's like maybe half wooded and half open meadow. So there's a real, there's both, the, yeah, that possibility of, of, there's both like the privacy that comes from having, having the tree lines around, um, but also this, there's, um, yeah, this really big open meadow that's surrounded by trees. So there's this real spacious feeling quality to that, to that meadow. And, um, and there's a hundred year old barn, Quaker built, um, really gorgeous architecture uh, like a gabled roof and um, having done having had a decade of experience holding ritual inside um, with dance and ancestral work and grief work it's just to me it's kind of the dream size and shape for working with people in in community ritual like that it's just really high ceilings really open um and that we're been slowly tending to cleaning to, to towards renovation. Um, and yeah, Jonathan said there's a yeah, it's a really peaceful. There's a, there's a, and there's a spring and a, and a little winding creek. Um, and and in a way, there's this uh, sometimes that metaphor between you know of the river dividing um, the the living and the dead. It. it, it Kind of comes across with this little creek <laughs> that 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 the the land of the main community rituals and where the barn is and where we live and and this open meadow is on one side of the creek and then there's this trail and then on the other side of the creek there's a couple of acres or i don't even know how many acres because that kind of perception is not my greatest strength um but it it there's another meadow surrounded by trees that is becoming the dedicated burial ground. And um, so there's a relationship between and continuity, but there's also that like energetic kind of geological separation. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, it's very peaceful. Our totem bird animal is the uh, black vulture. Mm. Um so they're often seen perching on the house or around, and that feels perfectly symbolic. And uh, yeah, and we're backed up against another maybe 
hundred acres or so of, of woods with a few, you know, a few neighbors just having kind of undeveloped forest. It's really, yeah, it's really sweet. Beautiful. Yeah, and there's, there's a few other projects on the land. There's a kind of a, you know, ever-evolving herb and vegetable medicine garden, may become a community garden at some point. A um, little bit of an orchard, some apple trees separating off the burial ground. We've been trying to focus on getting a lot of stuff just in the ground these first couple of years. And um, there's a 12 by 12 little cob cottage natural building project, which is possibly guest house, possibly retreat space, multi-use hermitage mm. sort of vibe. Mm. So, yeah, we have many, many irons in the fire, all slowly, slowly warming. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um. So if there's any like questions that either Lucas or I ask that are for whatever reason not interesting to engage with, d- feel free to not, <laughs> just for the record. But um, I would be really curious to know more about how Black Vulture came into relationship with y'all and with the sanctuary as as the totem, if that's if there's a story there. Sure. I they were living in the barn. Yeah. There was all this hay, just like, it was this huge barn was probably what, like, I don't know, Jonathan, a quarter, a third filled with hay. And it was a great nest for them. So, um, yeah, they, they were just, they were just here. Yeah. They, they made their presence felt from the start. And we're like, okay, they are, they are a presence. Fantastic. Yeah. So the very, the very first walks, um, and, and I don't know, it was very sweet for me when I lived on, on the Hall River. Uh, very early on after I arrived, I found a heron mm. feather. And I found, you know, in those first couple of weeks, I found two heron feathers. It's like, and they were the bird. Mm-hmm. Like, all kinds of birds came and went, but they were yeah. the bird, like, that, that you can always count on seeing there. And the very first week, I found a vulture feather right by the barn, and then another. And it's like, they're still, you know, they're mm. on the main altar here. And... Um, and they'll just, for a while when they were staying in the barn, they would just kind of sit in this post oak grove right beside the barn and, you know, a little crew of them and just watch you. Mm. I mean, they're like, they don't, aren't very t- intimidated. Um, and I, I learned a little bit, uh, actually just yesterday read this about the difference between, one difference between turkey vultures and black vultures is the black vultures tend to um, be more comfortable cl- living closer to people. Mm. Um, and yeah, so, and, and I'm like, oh yeah, they're just totally like, they're totally here. Um, and they'll just wild. Like I could be for a while, I'd be in the bedroom. I don't see this as much anymore. So they're not living in the barn, but they're, they'll just fly towards the house, like right towards you and then lift up and go to the roof. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's been a very, um, yeah, like intimate. Like I feel like, okay, yeah, they, they notice us. It's not like they're just a bird that's um, doing their thing. Like it seems like there's a... And I'll tell you one other little thing. Um, a friend of ours uh, who was thinking about um, interring her aunt's ashes here, her cremains, had them in the car had them in her car and we walked over to the to the burial ground and came back and there were like 20 black vultures perched above her car wow. i've never seen this i've never like in our two years two and a half years this has not happened before or since um and they pooped all over her car it was like not like the most because because they just hung out there for so long just like they're they're very um 
it was just a really interesting experience of how they're very attracted to, you know, to death. They sense it even when it's not in a form they can necessarily feed yeah. on. You know, it was just a really, yeah. Last thing about black vultures, at least for me, is do, do you remember, Jules, what the name, the, co- the collective noun for the group of black vultures was? We looked it up one awake. time. Awake. It it's awake. Okay, awake of awake vultures. Awake is one Just of them, yeah. Good trivia question. So, yeah. yeah. Y'all knew that you were going to be working with burial and death before you came to the land, yes? Yes. And, um, we, I, I, I don't know. Somewhere around 2015, I had a vision of of of, of a place for burial, um, but it was in, with no headstones and the, you know it has like a little ritual space there. And I'm like, I haven't seen this, and I was just kind of in conversation with my ancestors, and um, and then it stuck around. And, and Jonathan is luckily not weirded out by that, like any other most other people have been like, that's nuts. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to live anywhere near where people are buried, um, but yeah. So there was there was the sense that when we when we decided not to, um, well, really when we weren't able to to purchase the land we were living in, and even though that language really doesn't resonate for me, but the, come into long term stewardship like that with the land on Saxbaha, there was an inspiration around like, okay, well, what if there was there was land that we could live and work in and, and birth this project. And then it was just really seamless and easy in this place presented. Um, so, yeah. And, and that's part, one of the main reasons why this land specifically was chosen is because the layout of the land, the kind of natural separation between the area that could be dedicated to, to, to burial and the... Um, home area and the rich you know the more living ritual area um and also the barn that that, that will make a beautiful space for gathering a temple or um that's awesome i'm just yeah. sort of goosebumpy and floored by like that understanding they all had and then showing up and the vultures being you know inside the barn and hanging out right it's like it's <laughs> Uh, I don't really have anything articulate to say about that, but there's an an elegance and a beautiful kind of resonance to that that mm. is is really amazing. Um, so mm. that's well, super it speaks cool. to you, you know, actually following your path, right? Listening to the signs that like, oh, I, I think this is a calling for me, and then that led you to a space, and then you know, it's in sync with nature. Mm-hmm. You know, well said. Mm. It all lined up. You know. Mm. Can I ask, mm-hmm. um, how do you, um, did you, well, in, in the sort of beginning stages of this acquiring the land and then becoming a, a, an organization, how did you do sort of outreach? Like, what is your communication with the, the community to sort of, you know, be a service for them in such, such a multifaceted way? Like, what does that look like? I mean, you're, I assume you're not like handing out flyers and advertising or doing like fire dancing in the town squares or something. Or maybe you are. I don't know. That'd be cool. <laughs> That's yeah. a good idea. I should go back to that. Fourth <laughs> um, of July parade, you know, you can always yeah. do something like that. Yeah. I feel like I've put in my time dancing in city streets. I did that. <laughs> it's community service. Um, well, luckily because I have a couple decades of relationship building, I mean, I've lived in the Piedmont my whole life. So I, um, 
I lived in Greensboro, I grew up in Greensboro, I moved to Chapel Hill and Carborough in like 99, 97, something like that. Um, so there's already a community, you know, that's, that's, that's built up and, and, um, and which is also in some ways falling apart, you know, it's with COVID and the, and the, and the, the, the Flojo dying, um, in, during COVID, um, and which is, you know, we built a coffin and, and buried, um, had a funeral for the, the Flojo, um, here and yeah, uh, so there, but just having the website out and, and writing about it, um, has certainly called, you know, more people, um, who we didn't know before, you know, it's, it's like community building in a different way or relationship building. I mean, I've had some people who, um, yeah, reach out about burial specifically who are interested in that, who've never really you know, haven't really gravitated towards a dance, but are, are interested in the project and become friends. And, um, Jonathan's, you know, it's like, we're both, we're both doing so much different work. You know, Jonathan has clients that are, that, that sometimes end up coming, you know, he, he recommends for things here or invites to things. Jonathan's, um, yeah, just, there's just so many different, um, I mean, it's an ongoing question, right, that anyone has with a project that it's like, well, how do we, um, but I know that I'm not a person, like I've, nothing I've ever done has um, worked, has, has happened through advertising. It's like, it's, it's all always been like more grassroots style relationship, word of mouth. Um, yeah. I mean, those. A mild joke because, like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's kind of strange. I mean, I don't know. Jedi. Burial plots, two well, for one. Like, it's kind <laughs> of. I wouldn't get one. You know, there's you a local. Do a Labor Day special. Of there's a local poet, a wonderful guy named Alan Shapiro, who I think he teaches at UNC. And he, he taught at the. He teaches at the uh, MFA program that I was part of. And he, has a, he has a poem that I wish I could find about. It's like basically lampooning exactly that because there is a local burial cemetery somewhere which has a billboard on the side of the highway that's basically like buy one get one free and it just feels so off, yeah. you know. Yeah. Free need only. Yeah, the little asterisk, small print, pre need only. Like not when you actually need it, but only if oh. you're. Peace <laughs> oh. yeah. to those people. But like, yeah, yeah. No. I mean, everybody's I... trying to get by. Yeah. The essence of what, like, you know, I feel um, called to and what I feel backed in by things that are by my ancestors and, and those who I feel in relationship with is like, this is an old school, like, like ancient style church, you know, like pre, pre-Christianization, like, you know, um, church with a burial ground. Like, it's like, I mean, those are all over the place here, right? Um, but not a natural burial ground, um, not, you know, so it's just like using, I mean, religion, dance is part of my religion, um, connecting with, um, the cycles of life, right? It's that these are all things that religious organizations would steward. So ultimately i I hope is that it has that kind of a, um, yeah, intimate intimacy, intimacy with the people who you commune with and, um, um, and then return to the earth with, eventually. And in, 
there's you know there's been a lot of focus lately on on the burial piece as we're figuring out how to kind of get that in motion but really it's not necessarily the focus of anybody's anybody in the community most people aren't like attracted to it because there's a burial ground you know it's i mean julia is passionate about death and it's awesome because you're doing great things around around death and making it beautiful and making it sacred and taking it out of the sort of typical transactional economy and, and all of that but it's not the reason that people come to Harvard Sanctuary because we have an awesome death program or something like that, you know. It is hopefully the life. Hopefully the life part is is going well. And you know, you mentioned the Flojo, but it's it was Julia's studio in Carborough for a decade of evolving practices, which I, my understanding, right, only came in towards the end. But over the over your tenure there, it kind of became more and more ritualized. You started out as a circus art studio, and by the end, you're having grief ceremonies and different things. So it's kind of your own. There's a whole thread here of your trajectory of kind of growing into a priestly priestliness or into a priestly role. And then this kind of being the evolution of that, but not just in respect to death, but with respect to all sorts of rituals and ceremonies and celebrations and yeah. Yeah, I have a, a blog that hasn't hasn't been completed yet. It's like from Hooper to Death Priest. Like what How'd that happen? How did that happen? Um, because I'm sure some people who have sent their kids to me for circus arts are like, what? you know, and for me it's perfectly just following the circle logical yeah just follow, right following the current and and um i mean and it was in a hoop that i had my first vision about where i would go when i died and felt completely at peace and not and uh removed of fear and so i these things don't ever feel don't feel separate um to me yeah um but for some i know it's, it can be well and as somebody who you know really my the extent of my relationship to y'all's project is that i know both of you jonathan jed i know you better than i know you julia but you know i read y'all's writing <clears throat> as it shows up in my inbox and so just observing that there's this like way and i have a huge amount of appreciation for this that the liturgical ceremonial ritual calendar right how it marks these different cycles which you know as a naturalist myself and somebody who like really leans into those cyclic dynamics in classical Chinese medicine and Chinese philosophy like there's a, a very beautiful resonance of watching the ways that different cultures and different sort of like systems of organizing understanding and wisdom traditions relate to those rhythms which are ambient and fundamental to like any kind of story that and story in the best sense right we might generate to help ourselves understand those rhythms right but whether we have a story or not those rhythms are are present you know and they're they've been here before there were beings and that had any kind of embodiment and they'll be here after there are beings with any kind of embodiment right and we get to somehow find a way to come into relationship and it's it my observation is that you know not that I would presume to say what y'all's work is about, but how I experience it, you know, from this way of just kind of like observing from the outside is that there is definitely this beautiful continuity of like, okay, well, what does it mean to be breathing, you know, in this moment, in this place? Like there's the little breaths that I'm doing. There's the big breath of my whole life. There's the breath of life in general, the breath of the universe and all these things come into play you know, in the cycles of the seasons and the way that turns. And so, you know, ritual is a way of coming into uh, a harmonious relationship with those ambient rhythms. So I, you know, that 
that is something that um, I don't know if that's how you all think about it, right, at all. But that is, I, I feel like, something that gets transmitted really clearly. Uh, like, even just if someone were to look at the calendar and they were slightly attuned mm -hmm. to such things, I'd be like, oh, cool. You know, I can feel this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is... Mm -hmm. This is about this kind of connection, and there's all these different ways that we can come into relationship and explore this process. Um, so I think it's really awesome and amazing um, that y'all are rooting and exploring this particular set of um, intersections of those different rivers. You know. Mm -hmm. Thanks. It's it's well said, and it's definitely mm -hmm. a main, yeah, big topic of interest for me personally, and for us as an organization. And it touches on so many themes, which for me are really just juicy and, and fascinating to delve into. You know, in terms of time and sort of cyclical time versus linear time, or you know, spiraling time, and um, just kind of cosmology. What's the worldview in which we're sitting, and how are we? without wanting to proselytize per se, or say that anybody, because, you know, we're not a denominational church. We're not part of any order or specific tradition, although we have various traditions that may nourish and inform us. So kind of how much are we, are, are, are we synthesizing something or are we, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question as people who are coming from a background and, you know, half a dozen different kind of traditions and, and ways of, you know, being steeped in just different, different ways. Um, yeah, I really, um, yeah, it, 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 it feels, I appreciate the reflection, Taryn, and, and the way that you synthesized and, and articulate all that. And, um, and it is a ritual focus, right? Like the tending of the, um, and that, that was already happening a little bit in the Flojo, but the pandemic was an opportunity i mean right it's like okay we got to be we're gonna be outside okay we just landed in this place in may of 2020 so our first outdoor you know gathering was in the summer of 2020 and then we were just like all right well let's commit to this like this is a way to get to know this land like every six weeks on on the quarter and cross quarter days we're going to gather and it's like you could see you know and just notice the changes in in the land gets to get um, develop more intimacy with this place um the greater seasons and the cycles of our own life and and process and so those those moments feel like just these really um yeah potent times to see how those line up with our own life our own individual lives but also culture um and the challenges and, and the, you know, the breakthroughs and the different things that have happened. It's like Beltane 2021. I could feel it like six months before. I was like, this, I'm just, just Beltane. And then it's like, oh, the vaccines happened. And everybody was like very excited. And people who wanted them could get them. People who didn't at least maybe felt like they're, you know, it was just this like really like um, excited time. And it really matched the Beltane energy versus like Sawan of 2020 where we're having a funeral pyre for the world that was and, you know, and, and a big open fire right before the election. And it's just, I think like these, these rituals have really been able to be tended to these like ancient, these ongoing, you're saying cycles, but also like find ways to find meaning for our own moment in time here, um, individually and collectively. Um,
Hmm. Yeah, um, I have something to, that's bubbling up to say, Jonathan. Go for it, yeah, absolutely. To, I mean, I, I went to, the only churches I went to when I was a kid were a Baptist church and a Presbyterian church with my, one of my grandmothers a little bit. So it definitely did not resonate and didn't feel like there was space for my body at all um, in, in that religion or those rituals didn't, resonate never felt met by the funerals there or any you know any of the rites of passages there just just like what are we doing um and um you know jed and i both have uh our undergrad degrees in religious studies so it's been a place of interest though at the same time of like well what are, you know how do other people in the world finding meaning because it's it is a really deep question and, and, and inquiry, um, not just ritual, but like, what is your cosmology and what are we, you know, what are we about? Why are we here? All of those things have been interesting questions, but um, I don't, I don't know. It, for me, like it's, it's in part like rituals in part. Um, one, I have one teacher who says like um, rituals driven by need. Um, and so there's often that question that I'm holding. What is really needed in this in this moment? But it's it's also like this artistic, creative process. I feel like if anything, this is where my artistic um, uh, drive is is expressed at, at at this at this at this moment um, in in my life. And um, and I think that the relationships that have cultivated with place. And with ancestors and with, you know, um, other beings that support me, you know, in my own, not that, that they're not so much like people that, not people, they're not, um, say that people in our organization don't have to do ancestral reverence or healing work. Um, people don't have to be working with particular deities or orishas or anything like that. But there are relationships that I, you know, that I have that kind of inform how I move through the world and I feel like inform the ritual that um, emerges, you know. Um, that, but it's not been taken from any one place. I mean, except, it's, you know, things like fire rituals have been, they're ancient, right? Like the burning of an effigy is, is an ancient technology. Um, but the ways in which we're thinking about these burns as, all right, well, what do we really need? So like this in Osawan and a couple of, and we're going to have the ceremony on the 29th, we actually have someone building an effigy to the black vulture as a, as a way to honor 
this the the bird of this place we've displaced them from the barn so we can take it over we're a little like you know we appreciate you i don't know if they're actually going to care about the fire but at least it's it's an opportunity for us to talk about them and, and teach about them and and to, to open up to potential relationship or, or messages from them um, but it's also an opportunity to make offering to ancestors to make offerings for anyone who's died in this past cycle like this is you know this is connected to many rituals in the northern hemisphere at this time of honoring the dead um in, in many different traditions so um yeah there'll be ways to to do that um we put up an ancestor altar and it yeah it just continually evolves and um yeah no what else i mean it's it's the it's my favorite part of what it's also really laborious. I mean, it's a lot of work, but, um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's the... I think it's fair to call you a ritual artist at this point. Like, that might be your primary medium as an artist, that and a writer, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd say so. Yeah, but we're all contributing to that, too. It's like, we, you know, we have these, like, huh, like, what, what, and what will make it feel more contained or safer or anchored for whether, you know, and on the 12th we have a grief ceremony. And this is, you know, this are kind of, these are, I held a grief ceremony before I knew that something like that existed just because I'm like, I need, I am grieving and there is nothing that I know is going to help me except for like something that involves moving. I need to move this with my body. I need to not talk about it. I need to move it with my body. And so that's just, you know, so we, over the past decade, those have evolved and, through practice and research, you know, just learning and, um, yeah. There's several different, it's not like we're totally focused on a single system. I mean, I guess the kind of solar calendar, the, the quarters and cross quarters, right? That's the solstices, equinoxes, and the, the days that fall halfway between them is one kind of accessible, relatively widely known calendrical framework that we've followed in terms of basic, like for one year, the first year we were here, we decided let's let's honor all eight of those and sort of see what it's like to quote-unquote, turn the wheel of the year that way and get to know those markers. So that's that's one framework. And then um, we're not doing so much with the lunar calendar per se in terms of the lunar months, full moon, new moon. Those are mostly not going marked around here, although for a while we were practicing like turning the lights off every time there was a new moon at night and just being with the darkness that was great and we were like we're gonna do this every month and then it lasted for like two months and then we forgot but we were like we're gonna revisit that um i'm personally steeped to some degree in the chinese cosmology as well having gone to you know a four-year chinese medicine program myself julia's gotten some of it from me but it's not so much her home kind of turf philosophically and but now i'm kind of revisiting where i started with uh, natural medicine studies and spiritual practice, which was with South Asian cultures. I, I did an Ayurvedic program circa 2007, 2008, and that was my first exposure to a lot of things, including an astrological framework that actually seemed compelling and potent. Um, and I thought I was going to 
go down a deep rabbit hole with Ayurveda, and I, I did to a degree, but I also eventually kind of got off onto Chinese medicine as a maybe more clinically accessible path, at least in this country. Um, but, you know, 15 years on, I'm kind of circling back around to the Vedic studies and steeping myself in Jyotish, which is the Vedic astrology system as kind of like the ultimate divination system in a sense. Not, not the ultimate. There's a lot of great... I can nerd out about divination. There's lots of great ones, but... Um, that's definitely a really compelling perspective on time as well, kind of solar, lunar, plus all the other grahas or planets. Um, but that hasn't explicitly informed the heartward work so much. Maybe it'll start to seep in here and there. Yeah. But definitely that your, your um, knowing of the, the five element system, and I feel like it is coming into how we understand uh, the the year because it's I mean a few years ago before thinking about it that way I wouldn't associate this time with metal um and and it actually like it feels like it or this coming time I guess I'm I'm not sure exactly when metal starts we're in it okay I thought so but it but it um but like I you know I hope one day at Samhain we're having like sword dances like I really like I feel the like want to just like go ahead and like embody that element at this time and this um to befriend you know befriend the ways in which that that slices away and um you know yeah so anyway just to say it's starting there is some informing of um I think now when I do some meditations um offer some meditations on the these quarter cross quarter events pre dance, like I feel like it's as much informed by what I've learned from you, John, Jonathan, than um, as is when I was thinking about the Western, more Western elemental system. Sounds yeah. like you'll be opening a forge soon. It's, an, it's a nice add on, you know. You could have your ceremonies, your rituals, and if you'd like a knife or something or an axe <laughs> made into it. Oh, and if it. you're going to have sword dances, you might as well make the swords too, right? But I don't see a sword yet that I, I have been looking, and I'm not. I haven't found the one that I feel like is just quite right. So, it, I mean, basically, I had to start making hoops because no, I need. I needed to wanted to dance right. with hoops, and that did end up becoming a, a thing. So who knows? Maybe it will lead into the next. I do know prop. a metal artist, so I may get you connected. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I want to like feel the slicing. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. For now, I'm just hanging out with my six-year-old nephew, sword fighting with some not metal ones, and that's 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 also that's also fun. I'm just gonna nerd out for a second because Please. that's that's me. But like, the trippy thing about all this cosmology stuff and all these different philo- philosophies and religious systems is that. I mean, there's there's some part of me that's still stuck in sort of some kind of either or paradigm. But the the weird thing is they're all true, right? Like, and it's not they're all true in the way of like, oh well, you can sort of look at it that way. It's like, it's more like when you dive into that pool. Like, I guess I think it was D. H. Lawrence said something like, it's in a poem. He says something. I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's something like, like religion is a pool into which you do or do not jump something like that and it's kind of like once you've taken the plunge into a system and a way of viewing the world like the world configures itself to confirm that in a certain way and the truth of that system becomes manifest and you're kind of you're operating by that set of rules and the weird thing is that you there can be more than one operative at the same time i mean obviously like 
I don't know. I, I, I just I just trip out about this. Like somehow, all of these seemingly very different perspectives on the world are simultaneously true and compelling. And um, I don't know. I guess you just paradox is where it's at. Well, there's a lot of you know very robust and relatively old human cultures who've been looking at the stars and trying to gather meaning from that. And so it makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I mean, you see probably more than I do now having taken a, a serious dive into Ayurvedic st- studies that, uh, um, you know, there's that paradigm is robust and the Chinese East Asian medicine paradigm is very robust. And like there's, I'm sure there's, well, I know that to a certain degree, the European centered around the the uh, centered around Italy and Rome that's very robust as well you know it's like when um when I mean, in a very simple example but when people ask me about you know when I'm doing cupping or gua sha or something on people and they're like where does this come from do you know and I've had so many responses from people who are Eastern European or Southeast Asian or all, from all over the world. They're like, oh, yeah, my grandmother used to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, my grandmother used to do It's always the grandmother. <laughs> the grandparents don't. The granddad doesn't know anything about anything. But, um, yeah, they're always, it's, so that it, to me, it, it, it really speaks of these, like, you know, inquiring old resonant, I don't know if they're necessarily indigenous, but cultures so it makes a lot of sense to me that there would be a lot of overlap and yeah i i could nerd out about that too right and but it, in some ways i guess it's um um as i'm trying to chew on something seriously in this lifetime it give it, it it's a little bit easier to say like for me wrap my head around just try this see if you understand it and there's probably going to be commonalities and other things. You don't have to really study them if you don't want to. Maybe have a conversation with someone like you and like find out the you know the things that are a little different. You know, it's the old drilling one well that's deep <laughs> instead of fifty shallow wells. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, I think generalism gets a bad rap, especially in the cultural moment that we're in. Maybe there's a little bit of coming around to it, but it's like it is one thing to be a generalist. It just doesn't look like one thing from the perspective of somebody who feels like you should just study one thing, right? But it's like, because you're trying to, in some way, you know, cultivate a relationship with the whole, right? So part of that is that, you know, you do explore a variety of different, you know, you do drill a bunch of wells, but not because you think you're going to know what person, what the person who drills one deep well drills, but that we get actually a different set of you know, relational principles and protocols if we drill a bunch of wells. First of all, you get really good at drilling wells, hopefully. Um, you know, and then you start to understand, like, well, when I drill in this kind of soil, it's really different than when I drill in the shale mm. or at the beach, you know, or like in the low mm-hmm. places or high places. So, you know, I mean, as somebody who, depending on who you talk to, is either a dilettante or a polymath, um, I am very sympathetic to the notion of generalism itself being something that has value uh you know partially because like dispositionally i couldn't really do anything else i don't have the kind of focus where i can only do one thing um and so like i think yeah i'm not going anywhere with this except that i i 
am coming out of the closet in celebration of generalists and doing it more <laughs> and more. I don't know that I've actually done it on the podcast yet, but um, I'm sure it surprises no one who has listened to this podcast for more than a couple of episodes that I'm saying this, but... Um, <laughs> Yay. Well, yeah. cheers, you're cheers. Welcome. But also, to be <laughs> fair to you, I think you're talking about generalism within a pretty well-defined field, like 50 wells within like the same rugby field or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I it's an interesting question, right? Like, you know, we've had some pretty broad-ranging conversations, but I I have a couple other wells that may not be quite as localized within the rugby field. So, sure. you know, um, but that's fair. Um I'm trying to think of, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting question, right? Because then it's like, okay, well, what constitutes being a generalist, right? Do you have, do you have to spread it super, super so wide that there's no, you can't maintain coherence or is maybe like one of the the questions of the practice is like, how, how wide can I spread the scope, but actually still have it with some kind of resonant coherent field right where it doesn't just become trivial pursuit right which is not to say that if you want to play trivial pursuit rock on but like it's it's not just uh accumulating facts for the sake of accumulating facts right but it's also not um just focusing on the endocrine system totally and it's it's kind of like the sense of at least Part of the thing that gets me going is when you're drilling your wells or whatever and you hit an existing network of tunnels and you're like, oh, this is all already connected. Yeah. I'm just trying to catch totally. up. Jed, you had mentioned that you might want to speak a little more about divination and it seems like this actually might be a really good place to pick up that thread. Does that sure, feel, feel interesting to, talk to you about that? Yeah. yeah, for sure. It's I'm just... Uh, I can't tell, I guess, if it's something that maybe other people just take it for granted. Like, oh, yeah, the random things that you do like reliably yield meaning that's useful for your life. But most people aren't talking about it. I, mean, I think a lot of people do take kind of synchronicities as just there are quite a lot of people out there who are like, oh, yeah, that means that I'm on the right track. But they don't really stop to think about it or what that means for the nature of reality. I have tripped out about that for 20 years. Um, I started out as a physics major. And ended up in religious studies, if that tells you anything about my kind of intellectual orientation as a young person. Um, but I guess even even before that, like my origin story as a diviner, right, was with my buddy Curtis, my best friend in elementary school and high school. We were growing up in New York City. And, you know, you're a teenager and you're like, okay, I have a Metro card and a couple bucks in my pocket. What am I going to do of a Friday night? And we were just kind of like... I'm getting an echo. I'm trying not to um, get self-conscious here of the sound of my voice. But um, yeah, like so we were we would just start flipping coins to, to kind of determine what we're doing on a weekend, and we kind of came up with this rule for ourselves. We're like, we're just gonna once we flip the coin, the decision is made. We're not going back on it. And that sometimes we would create these elaborate systems. Like, okay, I'm gonna flip. There's this concert that one of us wants to go to way out in Sheepshead Bay, and it's a bit of a long shot. That's like four heads. It has to be four heads in a row for us to consider going to that. But if it is, then we're going. That's it. We're not going to discuss it anymore. So we kind of just created these more and more elaborate coin flipping schemes and ultimately made some coin flips for some surprisingly big decisions. Like one time we went on a road trip to Toronto from a coin flip or something like this. 
um, coin flips played into my which decision to which college to go to decision because I was like, well, how am I supposed to know which of these two colleges is actually going to be a better fit based on some material I've read and like a two hour visit? And I was like, here we go, <laughs> so <laughs> going with it. And obviously, it was the right decision because it had to, by definition. Um, so I guess the story I want to tell though is at one point at that college that the coin partially took me to. I was sitting around with a friend of mine and we were both taking a bunch of English classes and nerding out to whatever stuff we were reading at the time. And we were, sometimes we'd have little readings in our apartment, little off-campus apartment that two of us would bring out a stack of books and we'd end up reading some stuff out loud to our roommates and just having a little salon. And I remember I brought out like eight books and he brought out eight books and we're looking at each other like, all right, we're not going to read eight, 16 books. What are we going to do here? And I was like, I know, we'll like you know, just spontaneously, I was like, okay, we'll flip a coin for dividing this stack, and then we'll flip this, and we'll flip a coin onto the map over here, and if it lands on this thing, then we'll eliminate that, and after like 10 steps, we finally settled on a book, and I open it up, and I start reading, and it's a story from a Borges novel, and if you know Borges, he obviously is already in resonance with what I'm talking about, <laughs> but it's the story called the Babylon Lottery, which begins with a description of this incredibly elaborate random process. And I was just like, what the fuck? We just looked at each other like, what the fuck just happened? And we fell on the ground. I fell on the ground. It was like my head split open. And it was kind of, it was hilarious. And it was kind of scary. It was like, that was the biggest wink from the universe. But like, the universe is watching me? What? Like, I'm trying to be an atheist over here or something, you know? I think by then I was taking religious studies classes, but it was such a weird moment. And it wasn't that long after that that somebody gave me a copy of the I Ching for the first time. And then, you know, you kind of go from there and, um, yeah, there's kind of no, no going back from, from that point. But yeah, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the way that almost any random process you choose to wield can be meaningful and potentially transformative. It's like these loopholes are, are everywhere. And if you really, um, go into that, it is kind of turns most people's conception of reality or many people's kind of materialist conception of reality on its ear. So I just, I, I'm kind of stuck on that, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious if you'll speak more to um, the intersection of the randomness and the universe paying attention and perhaps winking. Like, that, I don't th think that that intersection is immediately apparent. Um, though I feel like it's immediately well, apparent to you, but I don't know that that's immediately apparent to everybody, right? W what that might mean. Well, I guess the whole thing about divination is that it, it you could even define it. There's, there's an author I like, Robert Moss. He defines it as provoking an omen, but you could also define it as like um, meaning through randomness, right? It's a process that should by all rights be random, like flipping a coin. What's more random than a coin flip or a random image generator or anything else you do that's literally a, a random process. You're not controlling it. You're allowing chance to dictate. But then if that process is meaningful, not just because you're projecting, you're grasping for meaning and you're going to make it meaningful, but because it really resonates weirdly with what you're bringing to it. And that's kind of a prerequisite for divination is that you're actually making yourself vulnerable at least a little bit or bringing a genuine question to the process and not just being some sort of cynic or something like that doesn't work if you come from that. Um, but there, in those circumstances, the meaning yields, I mean, the randomness yields meaning and it shows itself to actually be not random at all. And that's where things get weird. It's like, 
okay, what we thought was random maybe is not random whatsoever. So what is happening? You know, and you can you can speculate about along the lines of quantum theory and consciousness and all sorts of things that I'm not particularly qualified to talk about, but love to speculate about. Um, but it's just it's just an interesting rabbit hole, and for me, it's been a really it's led me to have a pretty weird and interesting life I, by my standards. From a kid growing up in like a going to prep schools and thinking I was going to be a physics major, which would have also been really interesting if I had been good enough at math to, to, to stick with that. But, you know, it's led me to some wild places and down some roads I didn't even know existed at the time. And it continues to. It continues to be a really rich source of decision-making and, and guidance um, and inspiration. And it's been really rich helping other people through, you know, for me, a real interest is bringing healing work and medicine back together with divination because these two things have gone hand in hand historically in almost any culture you could choose to name and they've been really divorced from one another and even though in our culture you know herbs and these kinds of things have been to some degree discredited obviously in a super problematic misunderstood sort of way um divination's been way more so like most people if they think that you're looking at their astrology chart or you're flipping coins when it comes to something as serious as their health then like well you're a total crackpot but in fact like because perhaps reality is a lot weirder than most people are willing to admit that's actually a potentially extremely powerful window not just into the soul but also into the body and yeah uh yeah please well i just um yeah, I just want to, you know, something that I've learned from um, Jed about the I Ching and how, like, you know, there's a lot sometimes a certain cast, a, 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 um, a hexagram might come with a ritual, um, like a ritual prescription, right? Um, and it's the same with another tradition that we've been involved with in um, the Ifa Orisha tradition. I had have had... The, divinations right and i i just was started having dreams decided to have a divination because it was just too pers- the energy this was too persistent and i think it was my very first divination and the diviner you know it's another another kind of system where hexa not not hexagrams but these these other patterns come up and then there's ritual prescriptions um and in the diviner now he didn't get this from the his is also a personal intuition from studying the system of divination but he told me that uh in that first set the first divination he said your people have been doing this tradition a long time and i was like i don't know what he's talking about i was like maybe he's talking about just the sort of indigenous ancestors somewhere in you know from the cherokee nation or from the you know the just some even old europeans of it i was like okay well he like then a year later Jed gets me a 23andMe, you know, ancestry test, and I have African blood. Oh, I have Nigerian, you know, eventually. <laughs> and so when it, it's like, oh, wow, the diviner um, told me this literally before, I, you know, before the blood test confirmed it. And then, so just, you know, that's just some people, I think a lot of people don't, would would be really reluctant to give over the type of faith or trust to a diviner to like now we're going to do these rituals and actually you need to be in relationship and like 
to feed this deity mm -hmm. or this power or the earth or the ancestors or whatever. But it's like there are systems where it's still coherent and it's not just... And still, though, the, the actual process may seem random. It's because it's it's the the casting of this, you know, this particular tool or... Um, um, yeah, palm nuts. Mm. And so it's like, yeah, it's a really... Anyway, just as another another mm -hmm. story of um, of being being in relationship with a tradition where that is a really alive um, and still coherent and and actually sometimes comes with medicines that you are to take. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yeah. So I, I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time in like soapbox mode because this is kind of my like pet topic so cut me off if you have to <laughs> but for me like there's there's often you run into this attitude that well this doesn't agree, this doesn't fit with our accepted theories of reality therefore it can't be true and i think a legitimate scientific inquiry would say oh wow this seems to be true even though it doesn't agree with our theories therefore what does that mean for our theories and our understanding of reality and i think that for me, this whole meaning from randomness divination works thing is like a crack that goes all the way down to the bottom of the foundation of the world we live in. And if you actually stayed with it and went through it, you would turn the world inside out and live in a completely different world. Yeah, you know, our buddy... That's why, that's why I care. Totally. It's a good reason to care. Our buddy <laughs> Michael Garfield, who um, one of his projects is that he's the podcast host of SFI, San, Santa Fe Institute's Complexity Podcast which is like a very high level, you know, like the people that are on the vanguard of complexity science are all, not all of them, but many of them are associated with SFI. There's very in-depth, um, amazing conversations that he kind of facilitates. His other project is this podcast called Future Fossils, which is fucking like, you know, the roof is off the barn out there. Um, and one of the topics that he's really been talking about a lot lately is like, why is astrology given such a bad rap? Like who's really doing, we have all of this computing power that we could use to like really study some of these dynamics that are at play. Like why is no one doing that? We're just blowing it all off. So this inquiry into like what might happen if we took some of these things seriously and investigated them, you know, as having real phenomenological value I think is it's interesting mm -hmm. to hear you speaking about it because like he's not the only person, right? I just bring him up because he's been on the podcast and you know he, he's like more within the sort of like immediate circle of folks that I am in communication with to mm. some degree, right? That are also making this inquiry. Um, so that's interesting. The question I would pose, if you're still willing to stay on the soapbox for a little while longer, um, and Julia, this piggybacks or leapfrogs, I guess more aptly off of what you're saying about within the ifas tradition like so there there will there is a coherent structure where when you know we receive information it may come with particular protocols that need to be followed in order to address various kinds of questions or concerns or you know sometimes even health issues problems so leaning into the paradox question of things being mutually true and and if they're paradoxical potentially seemingly exclusive to each other what is you know like riff on if you would okay so we are in that system and it has a particular way of viewing things and then you could potentially go to a different system and get information that might be consonant but also might be like no what you need to do is this set of things with these 
beings or these practices or these herbs that are different, right? Because it's certainly not going to be the same because we're potentially talking about systems that come from different places in the world that have, you know, at the very least the herbs are grown in different places. The ceremonial technologies are going to be on some level, at least in the manifest aspect, different. Am I making sense in terms of like the, the inquiry? Totally. I mean, I'm going to yeah. go there to the Do quantum. It. We can't, we can't avoid it. I have one semester of college <laughs> physics under my back. Quantum physicists <laughs> just lock your ears right now. And to be fair, there's a lot of really bogus stuff that just kind of like invokes the quantum as a, as a justification for anything. But we do know from 100 years ago and more now that something as seemingly basic as an electron or a photon acts fucking insane. And that's a technical term, right? Like, let me just quote this one experiment from physics from a long time ago, just to illustrate what they call wave particle duality. Because I think most people still haven't really thought about this, because if they did, their heads would be melted on a puddle on the floor. I was, I was just writing a blog post quoting Niels Bohr, who was one of the quantum grandfathers. And he's so full of damn good quotes, I should open it up and just reel some of them off. But one thing he said was, or a famous thing he said was, if you've understood, oh, I'm going to butcher it now. He said something like, if you think you've understood quantum theory, You're then wrong. you haven't understood <laughs> it at all. Like, and he's, he's a quantum theorist. He's like, you can't even understand this stuff. It makes no sense. I mean, he and Einstein had this ongoing debate because they were so mad about it, or Einstein was. But basically, this is, and this, this experiment started in classical physics, and then it has a quantum application too. You have light that you're shining at a board with two slits in it. And the, the, the thing that was noted at one point was that when light goes through these two slits, it causes a pattern to emerge, which is what you get from two waves interfering with each other. So imagine from each little slit, a wave comes out. And when those like, like, like ripples on water from a cast stone, right? When these two waves intersect, you get this particular pattern of bands from where the the, the peaks of the waves and the troughs of the waves interact and cancel each other out. So basically saying light is acting like a wave. It has a wavelength that has a pattern that emerges. Fine, light, light acts like a wave. That's cool. But light also acts like a particle. You can reduce it down till you're getting a minimum possible amount of light, like little bullets of light coming out. You can't get half a bullet anymore. You can either have three or two or one or zero quanta of light. Therefore, white is, light is a little discrete particle. In fact, when you shoot these little quanta of light, you get little dots. That's where the first little bullet of light hit. That's where the second little bullet of light hit. You, and again, you can't get half a bullet. It has a minimum. It has a little exact location. It has a minimum quantity. So it's a, it's a little object. It's a little thing. It's a, it's a particle. So on the one hand, you have light that's acting like a wave. On the other hand, you have light that's acting like a particle. It's a little bit hard to see how it could be both. But let's do an experiment to see what's going on. Okay, and I may, I may get the details of this wrong, but the, the gist of it is that we're going to now send light through these two slits, but we're going to do it with... We're going to turn down the light until we're getting only one little bullet at a time, the minimum quantity of light. So we're sending a particle through... Logically, we know that that a single particle can only go through one slit or the other. So, so we're going to shoot one particle at a time with both slits open, and we're going to look at the pattern as it builds up on the screen over the aggregate of all the little bullets hitting it over five minutes or whatever it takes. And what do you get? You still get the interference pattern produced by waves. So what the hell is going on, right? Like maybe each... 
bullet is actually riding a wave that is a probability wave and you know that you have to come up with these convoluted explanations to explain how it's both but basically even at the simplest level of a single unit of light reality is that weird that's my point so it's, we can't be surprised that reality is weird when it comes to applying this religious framework or this philosophical view. It's going to, to some degree, it's going to conform to the nature of the experiment. It's not just that the experiment is going to reveal a partial truth. It's that the reality is actually going to morph, in a sense, depending on the questions that we're asking and depending on the framework that we're stepping into. Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? I mean, like one of the ways that I have often considered that is that, you know, the sort of like, the thing that often I feel like goes overlooked in the conversation around that is that it's all happening. I mean, and there's some touching on this, you know, and they're like, oh, well, it's the expectation or the intention of the experiment that's going to do this thing that like determines whether it's a, a wave or a particle. And I think that like, you know, this is all happening within this kind of like limited bandwidth perceptual apparatus of the human organism. And it's like, it's interesting to me because I think on some level, we kind of often can't get away from the assumption that somehow what we can observe is reality, right? Which I think is a fundamentally problematic notion like at, at its base. And so like if we, as you say, just accept that shit is a lot weirder than we can possibly conceive, then the question of like, what is it? It's either or. It's like, well, no, of course it's not either or, right? Like that choice is an artificial narrative that that somehow I've constructed because I need things to be this or that, right? But things have never been this or that. They're always like a process that I can potentially, like if I'm going to cognize it at all, I have to kind of grasp it in some way. And if I'm grasping it, even if I'm grasping something in motion, I'm only grasping a portion of that motion, right? Because there's a motion that's going to precede and, you know, follow from whatever that moment of intersection is. And so, you know, again, I'm just riffing here. I'm not like going anywhere. But I think that, um, you know, this is the thing that I feel like kind of has always amused me about this is I'm like, well, there's always a th- at least a third option, right? Is that, <laughs> that it's yes, <laughs> it's both. People are like, yeah. is it this or this? And you're like, yes. <laughs> and this, and I don't know, suddenly I want to bring this back to the dead yeah, and the earth for it. a second. Um, because just even the tending of the, you know, the ancestors is like that. People are just like, ah, the, the, the dichotomy between life and death is just like, well, well, no, no. It's something that's dead. It can't be continuing to have relationship or consciousness. You know, that's already enough. And then when people like, one of the next questions, if somebody engages is like, well, can you be an ancestor and there be reincarnation? And it's like, yes, you both, you know, and, and um, that these things aren't, it's not a one or the other, or, or is there consciousness? Anyway, I guess what I want to say is just one of the, the, my sense of the dead and the way you're talking about this, like it's this and this and this is like, is like that, that this is a sense of there's this multi-souled thing that's going on that where some of our consciousness goes back into the earth and affects the earth and goes into the atmosphere and affects the atmosphere and goes to the ancestors and still gets reborn and affects the living mm-hmm. who come here and that it is just so complex in ways that we can't even possibly understand and it feels really important to you know and that so it, this is one of the ways that i 
feel like I tend the paradox here is like I, it's important to tend the dead well because I somehow I feel like it's even affecting our weather mm. you know <laughs> like it's affecting the quality of the earth and the weather um and, some stories well, about and, that. and you know if yeah. we take it back into the material for a second and we think about all the things that we are only just starting to understand in terms of like how you know the like the many traditions have talked about the self as kind of a delusion or an illusion or a whatever a construct i mean and yes and and no and many other things too right but like the idea that there's a an abiding unit of self right it's like well even on the level of the most kind of material interpretation of what it means to be an organism we see that that is entirely fallacious right because like mm -hmm. there's more non-human cells in a human body than there are human cells and sort of like you know death is what is driving life right and life is feeding death in the sense that things are being broken down right dying and being taken apart and being metabolized by all these little creatures inside of my gut right and like <laughs> i think that i maybe am making choices right but who knows like maybe i'm just like the ant that the cordyceps is driving my bus right and all of the different <laughs> beings like they're certainly going to affect my mm -hmm. mood and my pain level and like the lucidity of my thought and all these things so like who is well we're a community making you know but each one of those nodes right it's like communities all the way down and all the way up and then the reason i bring this up is because there's this really interesting research um on the way that mycelial networks drive weather patterns because they need more rain and so there's you know there's spores everywhere we're breathing in these spores all the time and so these concentrations of spores increase the condensation of water and create these cloud banks which then create this kind of reciprocity where in really mycelially dense areas you get more rain so it stays wetter so you can get more mycelial networks which then so again we have this being that is right there mm -hmm. on the the threshold between life and death right that is actually very literally right generating weather patterns mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i am always interested in like sort of taking things that we we think of as spiritual phenomenon and bringing them into my developing understanding of how the natural world operates because i feel like mm -hmm. a thing that happens a lot you know is that um you know, and I've certainly done this plenty in my life, is where we'll like jump to needing energetic or, you know, non-corporeal descriptions, which energy and, you know, beings that don't have bodies, like I'm totally down with that. That's not, I'm not saying that. But we often use that as a placeholder or an explanation for phenomenon that actually are like way less, but just as weird, but they don't have to go into this, like we've slipped out of, you know, quote, material reality and into some kind of spiritual reality. It's like, well, yeah, it's just this crazy continuity where the more we dive in to what matter actually is and does, like the wilder that shit gets too. So, you know, just to like make it more mm -hmm. weirder. I wonder if the mycelia were involved that time when the the weather completely followed the arc of the dance set that you created. That was the craziest thing. Tell that story. You want to tell that story, Jules? It, you, should, you should tell it. Um, it was our, I think it was our second dance once we landed mm -hmm. here. And, um, and it was kind of like a, hey, we're here to get to know you. It was like, it started with a prayer and like really, you know, felt dropped in with, 
talking to the place and, and, Out, and outdoors and outdoors yeah and uh and it was like you know it was when it was real it was you know it was july 2020 it's so hot um and uh there was like a one percent chance of rain that day or something so it was like whatever right and then i started the music and so it's it's a it's a wave it builds an intensity and then it comes back down as soon as i push play the 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 quality of the air shifts the um the temperature drops then it's like wow it just got amazing out here and then by the time like maybe third or fourth song there's a little bit of a rhythm and like we're in the flow and the sprinkle comes and it's like it's it's glorious and then all these rainbows started appearing like down low like ways I've, I've never seen them happen before the sun's coming through the the trees and there's these there's these just like rainbows just at eye level in like multiple directions and we had also just consecrated this ancestral altar in that area and so like just had had consecrated these cairns at like each direction and the cross quarter directions um the music builds an intensity the rain builds an intensity when people are then taking cover it's still covid they can't come in the house it's like shit this is actually not that convenient <laughs> um and <laughs> and uh and then it builds an intensity and then there's lightning and it, i swear i thought that lightning had hit the other side of the field at that end i'm like we need to take out the rest of the chaos part of the set like i don't actually need to see what what gets bigger from here um, a couple people are just dancing in it because they're like, what are the chances of actually getting struck by lightning? It was a glorious thing. When the set, when the music started to descend into into what, you know, lyrical, but also just like calm down a bit, the rain slowed down. And in the last two tracks, the rain stopped and there was this pink glow in the sky and it was just all totally calm. It lasted the exact length of the music and it was complete like... What just happened? What just and somebody somebody who left during it took a photo or, or told us right after that as soon oh, as yeah. they got out the driveway right across the road from us it was blue sky. I hear you. <laughs> I totally hear you. Things to look forward to at some point down the road, right? It's like, yeah. I mean, the the pole goes back to the earth, the hun goes back to the heavens, right? It's like in the Chinese cosmological framing, we have there's at least five, and depending on who you read, maybe seven and whatever, uh, different 
spirits that are qualities that get talked about right as being related to the different zong organs but you know there there's a deep animistic root to all of that understanding and so when you were talking about like reincarnation and ancestry it's like i was thinking too about you know like okay right but it's it's not one thing like you know we can get so like i know non-dualism is super cool right now and like there's lots of folks that are really really into it and it's beautiful it's a beautiful framing but part of i think what's challenging about that is that it like at least in some of those schools it flattens things in this way where it's like okay fundamentally you know it's on some level pre-manifestation like i i totally dig what the Tao Te Ching says about like you know it comes from this thing that's not a thing that can't even be named that is this kind of like you know it is like this mother of all and once we move into any kind of even pre uh manifest expression of anything right that it starts to like when there's movement in that then we start to have this diversity that arises right that one and then it becomes two and immediately when you have two you have three because you know there's this movement in there and then that goes into the five and into you know the ten thousand things there's a big jump there but that those five right are are this way of looking at time and looking at rhythm and like that we are composed right in this model too of these kinds of like different motions of breath and rhythms that then connect back into these like turnings of the earth and turnings of the stars right and so i don't know i'm i'm not really going anywhere or necessarily even making any sense it's just like i'm appreciating the way that you know these different dynamics are kind of like weaving back and forth breathing in and out right you know and sort of like connecting as you said in your uh blog post like below what did you say below beyond even the turtles or something jonathan oh i something i, I slipped the turtles right yeah it was good there. i, I liked it exactly but basically something about like further down than even the turtles right it's like it, it goes even deeper than that Taryn, you left us all speechless. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, I can't even <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry, uh, or cool. No, no, uh, in a good no, way. In a good way. way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was just going to say, we're kind of at the point where we might want to think about yeah. um, landing, you know, bringing the boat into the dock here. So do y'all have thoughts, reflections, shout-outs, blessings, anything that you would like to include put into the space, include in the space before we uh, come to a close. Grateful for the chance to chat with y'all. It's been fun. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks yeah, for bringing attention to the, to this, you know, this project and being interested in it and, and for reading, you know, sometimes we send all these things out there <laughs> and you're just like, I don't know. I pour, we poured over these things. It's like, does it, does it go anywhere? I don't know. So I, I really felt really sweet to, to be like, oh, somebody's reflecting back some of what we are because they read our words. And it's like, it's, it's, that's, that's, it's a good closing the loop. I appreciate awesome. that. Yeah. Absolutely. Having done a project with very low intention or low expectation, uh, it's really surprising uh, the dissemination and when it bounces back. <laughs> I just met a complete stranger who was who had listened to the podcast and I was like, What? I mean it's two degrees of separation, but still. So you never know. 
Thanks, y'all. It's uh, it's been Thank a you total so pleasure to yeah. chat with both of you, and I love what you're doing and that you're doing it and that it's nearby. And even though I haven't quite gotten my single dad running a small business solo ass out to any of these ceremonies, it is it is something that I hope to do. Um, and I just you know so deeply appreciate that we have y'all's work and space as a resource on so many levels in the community because I think it's it's much needed and really potent medicine so thank you for that mm-hmm. thanks so much Darren and Lucas yeah. thank you so much